hot off the press. There's more coming out of the printer. If you need them, let me know or want them. Are we good? I think we're probably good. So we are talking about pursuing Jesus, pursue Jesus. And to do that, we must leave complacency and self-sufficiency. We must leave complacency and self-sufficiency. We're going to be in Revelation chapter, Revelation chapter 3. Verse 14, we're wrapping up the seven churches tonight um, and going on next week into uh, Revelation chapter 12. Not Oh, my God. Man, my brain is not working. Chapter 4. So, so turn with me to Revelation 3, 14. Revelation 3, 14. And to the angel of the church in Laodicea write, the words of the Amen. The faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. These are Jesus' words and titles in which he carries. It's to the church of Laodicea. The city of Laodicea is known for their water supply. It was lukewarm and it tasted terrible. It came from mineral-laden hot spring in an aqueduct to the city. And so it might have been hot at that at the beginning, but by the time it got to the city, it was lukewarm and hardly fit for drinking. Now, Americans, we like our water. In fact, there is billions of money spent every year on what? Water. Bottled water, right? And, and we all have our favorite kinds of water, right? Some of us have to have that mountain spring water. Some of us can't have that, uh, that water that's been, uh, had everything removed from it. It just doesn't taste right, right? Some of us, like me, only liked, really liked the water that was at, from my well on 184 Mountain Springs Lane. That's where I grew up. That's the taste of the water. Every time I go back home, I'm like, this water is so good. Right? We all like water. And sometimes we'll drink water and it has minerals in it or it has smells to it. Or in, in the city it has chlorine in it or fluoride in it. Right? And we're like, yeah, and we want to just spit it out. Right? Right? So their water supply. It wasn't a good water supply. They're also known for their wealth. For they had substantial baking assets. They were very wealthy as a city, and they're known for their independence. You know, in AD 60, there was an earthquake that just racked the whole region of Asia, uh, which is modern-day Turkey. Many cities were just torn to rubble and destroyed, and all of them, all of them received help from Rome to rebuild their city, except, except Laodicea. Laodicea was, no thanks. We got it. We'll take care of ourselves. Thank you. We do not need your help. So they're known for their independence. 
They're known for their clothing. They would make this really cool, warm, hooded, sleeved robe for you to wear out of black wool. It was cool, and you would wear it. And, you know, if you've ever done fantasy things, you know the hooded stuff is the coolest, right? Right? So they had their own clothing line, and, and they, they made these things, and they were able to clothe many people, not just themselves. They were also known for their medical success with eyes. They had, were ophthalmologists, and they had this special salve that you'd put on their eyes and would help with all kinds of eye problems. And they were known for that, and people would travel from all over to get their eyes looked at. And they are also a throne city, meaning they, that city, Laodicea, ruled over that region. And they had a throne, and, and, and the, a king sat on that throne, a governor sat on that throne and ruled the region. These are descriptions of Laodicea that they are known for in their history. These are things that the church it seems, in Laodicea, picked up as favored attributes for themselves. So Jesus, this is Jesus talking. He's the amen. Well, that's kind of weird. How is he a so be it, right? How is he the amen? Well, amen is a loan word from the Hebrew. And it is used as a title for Yahweh, meaning reliably true or affirming truth reliably. Jesus is the truth, right? We learned a couple weeks ago, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He is truth. And not only he is just normal truth, but he's reliable truth. He's affirmed truth. And this is poured from this passage in Isaiah 65, 16. So that those who bless himself in the land shall be blessed himself by the God of the man or truth. And he who takes an oath in the land shall swear by the God of truth or the God of the amen. That's that Hebrew word, amen. Because the former troubles are forgotten and hidden from my eyes. So here, John the apostle is borrowing from this title given to God, the amen, the, the, the truth. And he is giving it to Jesus who is the truth who is the amen. He is the affirmation of all the promises of God, past, present, and future, because all of it is fulfilled in Jesus. Jesus is the faithful and true witness. In many ways, this is a repeat of the amen. It's just another way of saying that he is reliable, that he is faithful, that he is true, and that his testimony is true, that he is a witness of who God is, and, and God's promises are being fulfilled in you. He's the faithful and true witness. And he's a faithful and true witness of what you're living through and what you're going through and, and the work that he's doing in you. It's interesting, this phrase shows up in Jeremiah 42, 5, where the Israelites are saying, let God judge us as faithful, as true and faithful. Then they said to Jeremiah, may the Lord be true and faithful witness against us if we do not act according to all the words which the Lord your God sends you to us. He's the true and faithful witness. 
So Jesus has and is the fulfillment of God's promises. He's the witness to that. He's the one true Messiah. And we must leave complacency and self-sufficiency and hear what he has to say to us tonight. For he speaks truth, and that truth is reliable, and it is faithful, and he is the true witness of God's salvation, the true Messiah, come to us once for all. The next phrase there is the beginning of God's creation. Or you could translate it the originator of God's creation in the net. Or in the NIV, it is the ruler of God's creation. And that Greek word could be translated all of those ways. And what does this mean? It means actually that he is the creator, that all things were made through him. And without him, nothing was made that was made, right? It also means that he is the creator of the church. He's the firstborn from the dead. He's the first one to raise, rise from the dead. And we, by his grace and by his power, will follow. Colossians 1, 15 through 20 says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. Before all things, over all things, holding all things together. This is the God who we serve. This is the God who has saved you. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. Amen. Of John, first John 1, 1 through 4, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. And all things were made through him, and without him not anything was made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. This is Jesus. He is the creator, the first mover, if you're philosophical. He's talking. We must leave this complacency and our own self-sufficiency and hear him. We must hear what he has to say to us through the spirit, through the churches. If you have ears to hear tonight, I pray that you would hear the creator, the first mover. Revelations 15 through 16 says, Jesus says, I know your works. Jesus knows you. He knows what you're about. You're neither cold nor hot. Would that you would either be cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. That nasty taste in city water, right? 
I don't want to drink that. That just tastes bad. Maybe you're used to it. Maybe that's what you like. I don't know. All right? I want to drink that 184 Mountain Springs Lane water. Right? Or maybe maybe the brand that I always promote is, uh, oh, it doesn't have the label on it. This water, these, these things uh, come from no Norway or something, right? That's special water. It tastes good. I like it because they used to sell it in glass bottles. They don't sell it in glass bottles anymore, though. I wish that you were either hot or cold, not lukewarm, not complacent, not ineffective. So Jesus' judgment here is what does he mean by this analogy of water, of hot, cold, this middle water of being lukewarm? Many commentators have taken this to be, let's be on fire to be, Jesus would rather be uh, you on file for him or indifferent to him. And that's not the way this means at all. This is talking about being engaged in relationship with Jesus. And lukewarm is that disengagement, that complacency, that self-sufficiency without him. Let's look at this. Laodicea's water supply holds the answer. Their water is lukewarm. Because it is traveling from a mineral-laden hot spring in an aqueduct. And that mineral-laden taste from a hot spring tastes bad. You ever been to hot springs, like maybe in Yellowstone National Park or anything like that, or around a hot spring? Oftentimes, they smell like sulfur, a smell that we would know as rotten eggs. Sometimes around here, you run a tap, and the water comes out of the tap, and it smells like rotten eggs. And you have to do all kinds of things to it before you want to drink it, right? This is the water of the Laodiceans. It's mineral-laden. It it's not totally even fit for drinking. But this is in contrast to Colossae, which is, which is to the south, and it's, it's not very far away which has a fresh, cool spring for a water source. It's just wonderful water. You would just want to drink it all day. And then it's also in contrast to Hill Hill <coughs> I said I wasn't going to mess this up, and here I am. Heropolis, which had multiple hot springs, which were used for f relief from ailments. Ever soak in a hot tub? It's nice to soak in a hot tub. It helps all those aching muscles, right? Well, they say that soaking in hot springs is even better because the hot springs have these minerals that are supposed to help your body and help your skin and heal you. And so in Heropolis, they would go and they would soak and they would find healing. Both were useful, the hot and the cold, useful for the function that they were designed. The lukewarm water, Nobody wanted to use that. Nobody wanted to partake of that. So Jesus is calling us, the church, out of complacency and into usefulness in relationship with him. He wishes you either hot or cold, but you are lukewarm. You are, you are being useless. And so he's calling you in 
to eat usefulness. And I challenge you this morning, well, this evening, actually, it's not morning, this evening, that you would be useful for the kingdom, that you would leave complacency and self-sufficiency and pursue Christ alone. Christ alone for life, for he wants to live with you. He wants to abide with you. Revelation 3, 17 says, for Jesus says, for you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I have need of nothing. See the self-sufficiency there? Not realizing that you are wretched. Oh, wretched man that I am, who shall save me from this body of sin and death? Thanks be to God. It's Jesus who will save me. Amen? You are pitiable. You are poor. You are blind. You are naked. Everything that you think you have, you don't. You're deceived. So Jesus' analysis is that they are placing their confidence in their wealth, their prosperity, and their independence. I'm good. I don't need God. I don't need anything. Yet they are spiritually deceived. They don't know that they need God more than anything. They think that maybe one time they said something, a prayer, or they made a sent to God, and now they're good. But God is calling every one of us to relationship with him, to leave complacency, to leave self-sufficiency, and to pursue Jesus. For they are spiritually destitute in every aspect of relationship with Jesus. They don't know what it is to know Jesus. They might just be religious. My dad was a Christian. My mom was a Christian. I grew up in the church. But they don't know Jesus. And I encourage you tonight that he calls us to know him. They thought they had it together. Like their city. And yet they are destitute. Yet they lack in relationship with Jesus. Maybe you're here tonight and you think you've got it together. And I just have a word of warning to you. If you think you've got it together, remember that the only way we have it together is by the grace of God, by Jesus actively walking in our lives. We can't put it together ourselves. We can't organize it ourselves. We cannot do life successfully without Jesus. He's the only one that puts it all together. And it's only on our knees and faith that we find the truth of that. You see, they were wealthy, for they had substantial basing, baking assets, but they are poor in spirit. They were independent for they refused Rome's aid in rebuilding their city after the earthquake of AD 60. But they are pitiable. They were medically successful with eyes, ophthalmology, but they are blind. They can't see Jesus. They can't see his vision for their lives. They had the best clothing line. 
black wool. And yet, they are naked. The king with no clothes. They place their confidence in themselves. They placed it in themselves. And I ask ourselves, I ask myself this morning, this evening, I don't know why I think it's morning, but <laughs> who are we placing our confidence in? Where's our confidence? Is it in our insurance company? Is it in the savings account that we have? Is it in our own effort? Is it in our way to flex and move? Where is our confidence in for living life? Where is it? Jesus' counsel to us is to buy from him gold refined by fire so that you may be rich and white garments so that you may, be clothe, may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen. And salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. So Jesus' solution is to place your confidence in Jesus. Pursue him by faith. For faith is his gift given to us for relationship with him. Romans 12.3 says, for by, for by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Where did the faith come from? It came from God. God has given each one of us faith to have relationship with Jesus. He's empowered it. He's made it possible. The, prob the question is, is will I use that faith? Or will I be self-sufficient? Or will I be complacent, complacent and indifferent? So you see, by faith, by gold, rebind by fire. And what is gold, the fire, meaning? It's meaning trials. Trials are often refining files. And I know, church, we don't want trials. We don't want hardship. In fact, we do everything we can to make ourselves more comfortable, don't we? But God says, buy from me, by faith, gold refined by fire. By faith, buy white garments. And, and we know that we are clothed in the righteousness of Jesus. Not in our own righteousness, not in our own effort, but by his effort, his sacrifice on the cross, his validation in the resurrection. We buy faith, white garments in him. And we buy faith, buy salve to bring sight. Sight to see Jesus. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross and despising the shame is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Right? And we are to run that race. Ever try to run a race blind? It doesn't work very well. So we buy 
faith by sight or eyesight to see Jesus. Philippians 3, 7 through 11 is a great reminder of this. This goal of faith and striving to be in relationship with Jesus. Paul has just gone through his credentials of being a Jew, a Pharisee of Pharisees. Somebody who, if any physical merit might merit righteousness and might merit salvation, he is the one. And yet he says, but whatever I gain, I had, I count as lost for the sake of the Messiah. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing, surpassing worth of knowing, of knowing Jesus, Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and have counted them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that, that which comes through what, church? Faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, faith that God has given you, that he has assigned to you, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, and I may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection of the dead." We are being called from complacency and self-sufficiency to pursue a relationship with Jesus. That he is our all in all and all we need for he is sufficient. For he is the originator, the first mover of all creation. And he wants a relationship with you. So will we leave our complacency of comfort, our self-sufficiency, and pursue Jesus? Revelation 3.19 says, Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. Know in your heart then, Deuteronomy 8, 5, know in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, the Lord your God disciplines you. He doesn't discipline you in a punitive way. He disciplines you for your good to shape you and form you into the image of Christ. It's formative discipline, not punitive Hebrews 12, 5 through 11 says, Have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be wary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the ones he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which you all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have earthly fathers who discipline us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? 
for they disciplined us for a short time as seems best to them. But God disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness. God disciplines us for our good so that we may share. (laughs) Wow. Share in the holiness of God. Share in the divine unity of community. That we may share in relationship with God. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later, it yields the peaceful peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Church, Jesus loves you. And with that love comes training comes discipline, comes reproof. He loves us and is reproving us and disciplining us for our good and his glory, his holiness. Will we pursue him through zealous repentance? Will we listen to his call to be either hot or cold, to be useful for him in ministry, And will we step out of our complacency? Will we step out of our self-sufficiency and say, only you, only you are enough? He wants a relationship with you. Revelation 3.20 says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and eat with him and he with me. And many times, this verse is used for an altar call of non-believers to come in and, and let Jesus into their lives. But do you know who Jesus is talking to? He's talking to you and to me, the church. And he says, I want to do life with you. you you're, you're so complacent. You're so self-sufficient. You've shut the door to me. And I am here knocking at the door. And if you hear my voice, if you hear my knock and open the door, I will come in and I will do life with you. I will eat with you. Jesus wants to do life with you. Will you do life with him? He's knocking at the door of your life, Christian brother, Christian sister. He's knocking saying, I want to be with you. I want you to abide with me. Will you let him in? Will you abide with him on the daily grind, on, the, on shield meals? I mean, we all eat, and yet he wants to have a meal with you. Again, it makes me think of Psalm 23, and in the middle of that passage, he says, he prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemy. My cup overflows. He wants to break bread with you. He wants that communion with you. You know, most people nowadays, when we hear a knock on the door, we run. And we're like, who's there? We look at our ring, right, on our phones and see who's out there. (laughs) Look at that ring on your phone and see Jesus and open the door to him. He wants to come in. He wants to do life with you. 
If you don't know Jesus, he wants to do life with you too. And you can confess him as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and you shall be saved. And if you've done that, he still wants to do life with you. Every day he wants to do life with you in the daily grind. Are you aware of him? Are you willing and wanting and engaging with the creator of all things? That's amazing. That should just blow our minds. The creator of all things wants to spend the day with you. Wants to spend the day with me. And yet I am so busy and so consumed with what I'm doing that I don't even give him a second thought. I might give him 20 minutes in the morning, but I haven't given him any other time for the rest of my day. And really, he's saying, can you have a conversation with me? Can you pull me into what you're doing? I'm there with you. I'm here knocking at the figurative door of your life, and I want to enter into it. I want to walk with you step by step, moment by moment. Will you let me in? Will you do life with me? That's what he's calling us to. And he's calling us out of our complacencies and out of our our routines and out of our comforts and out of our self-sufficiency into relationship with him. We must pursue him. And when we pursue him, we are more than conquerors in him. And the one who conquers will grant to sit with me on my throne as I have conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. Now remember, Laodicea. That is a throne city, yet those who overcome will share not in some throne city of Laodicea that's ruling over a little tiny region. No, they will share in Jesus' throne, which is ruling over all the world and over all creation because he is the first mover, he is the creator, and he's faithful and he's true and trustworthy. We sit on Jesus' throne as part of God's new divine council of God's family. What a promise. What what a reward of being in relationship with Jesus. Revelation 3.22 says, He who has an ear. I won't make you grab your ears tonight. But as I look out over the audience, all of us have ears and we are commanded to hear to hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So I ask you this. Will we hear Jesus' words and leave complacency and self-sufficiency and pursue Jesus? Well, we can only find true riches, true prosperity, and true fulfillment. I pray that that is where your heart is. I pray that you will lay up your treasure with Jesus in heaven And not here on earth will rust and moth destroy. But that you will lay it up with Jesus. That you will pursue Jesus and find your sufficiency in Jesus. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you and we we just confess that we need you. We confess that we thought we could do it on our own. We confess that we've been impartial to you. We confess that we've been complacent. And we zealously come to you in repentance and changing our ways and pursue you with everything that we are. 
that we count all things as lost so that we could gain you and the power of your resurrection in our lives, changing us and transforming us. Only you, Jesus, only you are sufficient. And we, by faith, declare that. We, by faith, buy that gold that you have for us. We, by faith, claim the white garments of righteousness that you have for us. We, by faith, fix our eyes on you with the sight that you have given us. And we rest and we trust in you transforming us by the assigned faith that you have given each of us. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name.